Welcome to 90% Mental. I'm your host, Grant Parr, and thank you for joining us for our 40th episode. As a mental performance coach, I get the honor to work with athletes and teams to enhance their mental game and unlock their full potential. You know, in the drive in creating 90% Mental was basically to bring awareness around mental performance within sport by interviewing athletes and coaches so they can talk about their perspectives and stories with regards to the mental game. But for the most part, there's so much to talk about within the world of sports when it comes to mindset. So today I have Mark Henderson, a gold medalist from the 1996 4x1 meter medley team, who is also a three-time world champion who holds a world record, Olympic, American, and U.S. Open records. Today he's going to talk about his Olympic mindset and how he prepared for competitions. He's also going to share about what it felt like winning the gold along with breaking all the records within the 4x1 meter medley. We're also going to dive in into life after swimming. He shares a lot about his new company, a really cool company called the Athletes Village. So I can't wait for you to listen to how he breaks down his Olympic mindset and how his company is going to change the way athletes and coaches get access to the right information to implement the best practices. So let's go talk to Mark. Mark, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for calling. Yeah, you bet. I'm uh, really honored to have you on my show and can't wait to share with my listeners your Olympic mindset and also what you're doing right now currently with your new company called The Athletes Village. So I'm really excited to just to share your story as an athlete and also as a, as a professional doing with what you're doing with The Athletes Village. It's awesome. Hey, I'm a, I'm a fan of the show and I'm honored to be on here as well, so... Thank you for having me. Beautiful. I appreciate it. Well, let's get this show started. Um, as I always do, I always ask, ask this question about mental toughness. So what does mentally tough mean to you? You know, that's a good question. It, it actually has three parts for me. First one is consistency. I feel like athletes that can be consistent in practice and competitions um, have a strong, strong mindset. It's hard to come in every day to practice and to race everybody and to be, you know, pushing yourself to the limit every day. Um, and it's also hard to perform at a certain level at competitions. People like Michael Phelps, I have amazing respect for because it could be, you know, just a middle of the season meet or it could be, you know, world championships and he's going all out and, you know, obviously does not want to lose. I think the second one is ability to quickly bounce back from a bad performance. Um, we've all been there, and, you know, it's it's interesting to watch now as I coach kids, you know, to see how they can bounce back from, you know, a bad performance, especially in a sport like swimming where you can, you know, get out of the pool and have a horrible performance and then get back up, you know, less than 10 minutes later, and you can see kids get their best times just by adjusting their mindset. Um, and I think the last one is, you know, for is to see athletes that have the ability to perform in high pressure situations. I think, you know, a lot of athletes have been through it where, you know, someone in the heat in front of them uh, has an amazing time, you know, breaks the world record or breaks the county record right in front of them. And they still have to get up in the blocks and perform at their highest level or athletes that are performing at Olympic trials that, you know, we watch on TV who know that only two of them in that heat are going to make the Olympics. And so, there's a ton on the line, yet, you know, they're going out there and doing their best times. I love this question because we all have an idea of what mental toughness means. And, and everybody on my show usually has just a slightly different perspective on what, what it means to be mentally tough. And, and I love it, you know, you think it's consistency, bouncing back, and managing high-pressure situations. And I, and I think that's totally true. When you look back at your career, though, was there ever a time where there was just that one that you can just go back and go, yep, there was that moment where I was mentally tough? Or I'm sure there's a lot of them, but was there one that just sticks out to you? I would say Olympic trials in 96. Um, In 92, you know, I was promoted by everybody, including Swimming World and you name it, to, you know, make the Olympic team and I was super close to the world record and, you know, they had me meddling either gold or silver at the Olympics and all their forecasts. And um, I ended up missing the team because of a mistake, you know, we can talk about later, but 
something I learned a ton from. And so then you fast forward to 96 and I was seated sixth going into finals and I was last at the wall um, at the halfway point. I was in eighth place and came back and made the Olympic team. So I didn't, you know, I didn't panic in that situation. And I think that's, I think mentally I could have panicked or just freaked out that, you know, I was not in the running at the halfway point or not trusted my training or coach or you name it. There's a ton of things that go into it, but I felt that, you know, I was best prepared and I was mentally ready to race that type of race. Well, actually, this is my next question, so this is perfect timing, if you don't mind talking about it now. But, you know, when you when you go back to 1992 at the Olympic trials, you know, you were ranked number two in, in, in the world. And obviously, you didn't have the results that you wanted. And I, I believe you might have <laughs> stepped stepped away from the sport a little bit. Why did you yep. step away from the sport and what motivated you to come back with a vengeance? That's a good question. You know, I just, there's so much that goes into training for Olympic trials. And like I said earlier, it's just one of the most high pressured events you can be at. And for me, I'd been on the national team for about three years leading into trials and had just an amazing morning swim and backed off on purpose and just missed the world record and felt super confident about my race at night. And um, when I had the result of falling from first place, I was literally first place at the flags leading into the wall, um, less than 10 meters away from the wall. And I went from first to seventh. I could barely get my arms out of the water, completely bonked. Like mm. if you want to see an athlete hit a wall, that was pretty much one of the best uh, examples of that. And the reason I did it, um, I learned a valuable lesson. I, w- I knew who was racing next to me and my two heroes at the time, Pablo Morales and Matt Biondi, and I knew they took the race out fast. And I typically take it out slower. I'm usually behind most people, fifth to eighth at the halfway point, and then run people down. And uh, I took it out ahead of them and came off the wall, heard the announcer when I was underwater yelling that I was way ahead of world record pace and came up and the crowd was going absolutely nuts. And I was looked looked to my right and left, and there was no one even close to me. And in my mind, I was saying, "I've made the Olympic team. I'm going to smash the world record." Like, you know, I had goosebumps. I was hauling. I was going down the pool, and about 15 meters away, it was like a piano fell on my back. It was wow. almost impossible to get my arms out of the water. You could see my lips were blue. My face was blue. My body just wasn't trained to do that. And it bonked, you know, at the worst possible time. So I needed a mental break. I I got out of the pool and I was, you know, so fortunate to have people like Byron Davis that I trained with. And, you know, they were all super, you know, helpful and, and, you know, saying great things and give me a hug after it was all said and done. You know, those are the people that I will never forget. I never forget what they did. Just needed to get my mind back together and went back to Maryland and you know, just became a regular person for a while. And, you know, I worked at a gas station and, you know, worked on my car that I was building at the time and, you know, just had myself around my close friends. And, you know, one of my good friends, one of my best friends, you know, of all time, Glenn Staples, just pulled me aside at one time and said, look, you know, I can't see you stepping away after that type of slam. Like you've got talent. You can't let it go to waste and you just got to give it your best effort. And he's like, I just honestly feel, he was maybe stepping out of line, but I just honestly feel you didn't give it your best effort. That wasn't your race. Mm. And so kind of stuck with me. And I thought about it for a couple of weeks and called up my coaches at Cal and said, look, you know, if I'm going to make a comeback, I want to train with the distance group for the first half of the year and then switch over to the sprint group. And so I just adjusted my training to make sure that I wouldn't ever die again in a race and, you know, just stuck with a race plan and, you know, practiced it the next couple of years and got back on the national team and the rest is history. Wow. You know, it's interesting when you think about 
when you're just dominating a performance, and we all talk about this, you know, as athletes, like how incredible it is to to be in flow or be in the zone. And it seems like obviously that you were, but you know, a lot of times when you're in that state, a lot of, there's a lot of things that happen. You either don't hear anything, or you hear everything, or you see everything. You don't even know what you're seeing, but you're just your body's reacting, or you're seeing very through a uh, narrow tunnel. A lot of things can happen in that state. I think it, it just for me, just hearing your story, like how interesting that you were crushing the competition in that race, but for some reason you were hearing that you were way ahead of everybody and, you know, about to beat the world record. Like, how did you go from focusing on the, the race to hear like the announcer? Was it, did you mean to do that or like walk me through that? It's interesting. No, that's a, that's a really good question. And you know, leading up to that point, every great race that I had had, I didn't remember. Um, so the worst thing is like a TV reporter coming up to you and be like, when did you make your move? Or how did that feel? You know, and right in your face. Right. And so you're kind of like almost making something up. You know, it was really interesting. A guy that I worked with that worked with the national team did like a lot of kinesiology and psychology work with us. He pointed it out to me. He's like, that's the only time I've ever heard you say that you heard the crowd or really remember making your move and you know, you made that move early in the race and you could tell me all about the race. Cause I could tell you every, pretty much every yard of that race, wow. where I was at, who was next to me, you know, just how I felt, nailed the turn. I could walk you through everything. And, you know, you go back to my trials race in 96. I, I didn't, I don't remember any of it. I don't even remember making the move. I don't hear the crowd. I didn't hear the crowd. None of that. The only other time I heard people, I've heard the crowd um, was in the Olympics on the relay where we were you know, way ahead of the competition and I was underwater coming off the turn and they announced that we were ahead of the world record and it was like a almost deafening sound that got louder and louder and louder as I came towards the surface. Wow. Incredible. That's incredible. Now, I'm going to ask you a three-part question, so I know this could be, you know, quite a lengthy answer, but but when you think about being an Olympic swimmer, like, what does it take to, you know, what does it take to be a mentally, physically, and emotionally swimmer at that level? It's a good question. I think it's, it's a popular word these days, but I think it kind of encompasses everything. I think it's grit. Mm. I think you, you are, you're able to take the bad things that happen to you and learn from them and you're able to stay focused and you know the daily grind it's it's literally there's very few people i think that can get to that level without loving the daily grind i was super fortunate enough to have amazing coaches all the way through my career from the very get go until you know i retired and they were all really good at pulling the best out of me. They were really good at not thinking all of the athletes that they coached and just treating them all the same way. You know, obviously every athlete is somewhat different and what motivates them or what excites them. And I was just lucky enough to have coaches that were concerned about me as a person and took the time to understand what motivated me. Got it. Got it. You know, and when you think about the physical part, I can only imagine, I I mean, I have friends that have been at the junior Olympic level and I know how grueling practices are and I know how grueling it is to wake up super early in the morning and jump in freezing cold. I can only imagine that gets old real quick. But when you think about the physical part, uh, you know, one of my friends told me that, you know, when they were training, you know, you're working your ass off in the pool when you're sweating and and, and never really thought about that, you know, like, yeah, I mean, any other environment that you're, you know, competing at or playing a sport, you know, you, you sweat and you feel it, but you're in an environment where it's already wet. And so he's just like, it made me think about like, wow, you guys really work your tail off in that water. Yeah, I mean, that's the hardest thing for swimmers, I think, just specifically is, is getting enough water intake, because obviously you're in water, right? And mm-hmm. so you can't when you're out of the water training, doing another sport, you're sweating up a storm and it kind of reminds you to keep fluids in. 
But yeah, I mean, we have water bottles on the pool deck that we're going through one or two of them a practice. Wow. So, but, um, yeah, I mean, physically, you know, on the physical side, to be completely honest with you, if you looked at me, I'm not the, I, I was a completely different build than most swimmers. Like I was not, I raced against Mikhail Gross and, and Matt Biondi and a lot of these guys that were like six, 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 seven, six, eight. And a lot of the big swimmers that you see these days are huge too. You know, they're averaging six, five, just like, you know, just like a boat, the longer the haul, the faster the potential. Right. And I was, I was lucky to be six, three with flip flops on <laughs> and, you know, I was built more like a football player than a swimmer. So um, I, you know, I didn't have the God given gifts that I think a lot of these guys in swimming that make it to this level do, but I could guarantee you that I was working harder than most of them. Awesome. I love it. I love it, man. Now, when you think about 1996, when you won the gold medal and you're standing on the podium to receive the gold medal, what did it feel like when you were receiving the gold medal? And what did it feel like the next day when you woke up? Oh man, you know, the hardest thing, and I guarantee you a bunch of athletes will tell you this hardest thing is like a camera is like five feet from your face (laughs) and you have sung the national anthem a billion times and you've dreamed about this probably more than that. Right. And you're like, I better get the words right. Like, you know, you're like, the flag is going up and the anthem is going, you know, and you're just like, you know, you're completely dehydrated and you're excitement levels off the chart but you know to be completely honest with you i am so happy that i won it with my teammates yeah. i was super fortunate to be with like three amazing guys who are just great people all of them i had been on national teams with several times before except for jeremy it was his first national team but you know was on a couple with him after and you know, they're super fortunate to be on that stand with them and sharing that moment with them. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give that up for the world. Incredible. And the next morning, I think it's more like <laughs> we, my experience was different because the bomb went off the night of our event. So we were actually out celebrating when the bomb went off in Atlanta wow. and we all got called back so the funniest part of that, and I hope my mom doesn't kill me for saying this out loud, but um, we were all out celebrating, obviously, and swimmers are pretty well known for, like, not celebrating, like, being really good until they are done for the season, right. and then they're out of control. Right. So, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, we all got, you know, messages to come immediately back to the, you know, to the village, and they were closing the village down, and they were, you know, not you know, they were just closing it off so no one could get in and only athletes could get in and people that were credentialed. And so they're doing head counts. And when we're coming through the check-in point, they were like, all right, NBC wants to interview you guys right now. They wanted a reaction. Well, all of us are like, you know, three cheat the win at this point. Right. So we're like, <laughs> you know, and so we're going there and we just look like we're trying to look serious. You know, it was a really bad situation. And, you know, we're all in shock because we don't know. We didn't know what happened. We weren't there. And so they're just hitting us with this news. We thought they were going to interview us because they still hadn't really told us what was going on. Mm. And so it was like, we're checking in. We heard something bad had happened. We have no idea what's going on. And all of a sudden, we're in a live studio. And, you know, we're, we're being interviewed by Katie Couric and a few other people. And we're like, just, you know trying to answer questions right and so you know it, it was an interesting situation but you know we were all kind of laugh about it now i can only imagine i mean you're you just you just pulled off something just incredible something you've been working your whole life and i and and i know you know with olympic athletes you know you're all you're doing up to that point is focusing on your sport so you know whether when you're done it's it's time to really let down your hair and relax and with you and the rest of your team, obviously winning the gold medal and, and also breaking the record, yeah, you guys are ready to rock and roll, and then this happens, and you have to go back to putting your game face on, act like, oh, man, like, this tragic yeah, thing just happened. You know, really I, yeah, talk about being mentally tough there, you know? No, it, it was, and it was such a, for us, it was such an amazing release 
more than it was a victory because to that point, we had never lost that really in the history of swimming. Wow. So at any major meet, world championships, Olympics, we never lost that relay. But if you added up all the individual times of our team, and at the time it was the Russian team, um, they were they w- they should have beat us by a second, which is like a full body length. So you know their last two guys, the one I was going against and the one Gary Hall Jr. was going against, um, were both the current world record holders and had broken the world record at the Olympics. So, you know, they were touted to win. They were talking about us smack in the media, and we were just kind of staying quiet and, you know, focused. And we had an advantage. Like, we were all, you know, obviously college swimmers, and relays are huge in college. You know, relays are decided by hundreds of a second. So all of our relay starts are just keyed in. And, you know, we, we for the most part, had had some good training going into the Olympics you know, together, working on the starts and all that. So, you know, we're, we're much more deadly on relays than a lot of international teams just because, you know, some of those kids don't swim in the U.S. at the Institute level, so they don't have that experience. Wow. Wow. You know, and correct me if I'm wrong, because as I was doing, you know, some research on you, when you won the gold, you you broke the Olympic record, correct? Yes. And... And I don't know how this works, but when you broke the Olympic record, did you break the the world record, the American record, and the U.S. Open record all at once, or have you just done that individually throughout your career? No, you you break it all at once. So it kind of goes up the scale. Yeah, so the world record is definitely the hardest, and then, you know, obviously the American. It depends on the history, right? But the world and American were exactly the same, and then the U.S. Open record, which is breaking the record, obviously, in the U.S., and then the Olympic record. So we got all of those all at once. And, you know, we were just, it it was the best. I mean, it was literally like Jeff led off with the world record. Jeremy jumped in. And we were all super afraid because it was his first national team that he was just going to take off and die, (laughs) you know, kind of like what I did in 92. He hits the wall and he's out and just, flying like he's out so fast and we're looking back at Gary and going dude we're gonna have to step it up like we we gotta go he's gonna die like we're gonna be even up with the Russians going in and Jeremy didn't die he gave me like a violent lead the guy that I was going against swims the whole thing underwater so I couldn't even see him and um, that was before they had to roll. They had to come up at 15 meters. So it was right when underwater kicking first came into effect, and that's how he jumped into the forefront. Got it. He's got a super strong underwater kick. And uh, him and I uh, had the exact same split, and then Gary outsplit uh, Alexander Popoff. Wow. <laughs> so we we ended up winning by like a bi-length and a half, and we were, it was just, it was one of those things kind of like, you know, when the Warriors are on and all four of their stars are, you know, putting in big numbers. It oh, was, yeah. We were lucky enough that all four of us put in our best relay splits that we had ever done. You guys were all locked in. Yeah, that's exactly it. Man. And, you know, you should have seen it in the ready room. We were all just, with everything on the line, we were all just relaxed. It was just like another NC2A meet where you're just getting fired up to go and, you know, when we walked out for the parade out to the, you know, to the blocks, the crowd was just deafening. It was the last event of the of the Olympics for swimming, and everyone knew what was on the line. And they were in lane one, and we were in lane four, and it was just absolute craziness. I'll never. That's probably the most exciting race I've ever been in my life. Man, I, I can only imagine, and and not only probably the most exciting, but you just, to capitalize on that moment, right? I mean, you guys crushed almost every record, or every record, and I, I can only imagine. I mean, just right now, like seriously, I, I mean, I've known all this, I've done research on you, and I just got goosebumps. Just just to, I mean, because you guys are going into this race just, you know, to win, but let alone that you guys, you guys competed, and you guys break every record, <laughs> You know, yeah. Well, the coolest, the coolest part that people don't realize, like the coolest part about the Olympics, is I'm on a relay with three guys who I'm typically super competitive with. Like, like I am the rival of 
one of the guys who like went to Stanford and I went to Cal, like we hate each other, like college wise, right. you know, like we don't hate each other personality wise. Right. Yeah. Like we're like brothers, but you know, like I'm typically used to going against these guys and now they're my teammates. So it's like a total psychological, you know, change when you make a national team period, because everybody you've been keyed going against, you know, during the season, they're all of a sudden your teammate. Yeah. It's a great feeling, huh? Oh, it's awesome. You're like, I, you know, you watch them in situations, you're like, that dude is, is so fast. And you're like, all right, he's my teammate. That's great. It's like, <laughs> you know, cherry picking the best guys. So it's right. Awesome. But, you know, it totally on a, obviously on a different level, but I felt the same way when I was playing football through high school. And when I went to junior college first, all these guys that were on my junior college team, like these dudes were incredible. I mean, my, I had two running backs that were the two top best running backs in the all of Bay Area. And they were on my team in my backfield. And I was like, I'm like looking around going, oh my gosh, like I have an all, I'm playing with an all-star team. And it was just an incredible feeling to, to go to practice every day with these guys, but also to compete with these guys. So I can only imagine how that felt for you. I was so fortunate. I mean, I just learned a ton, especially when I was young and made the national team. I just, I absorbed everything I could. I just stayed as quiet as possible and tried to absorb everything that all of these guys that I'd looked up to were doing and how they reacted to things and what they ate and stretched and everything. Right. I was just like a little puppy walking around following people, you know, so, <laughs> um, it was hilarious, but, uh, you know, it's, that's, that's the way I, I think you get better. You just, and hopefully, you know, that's still going on. Right. Well, how important, you know, when we go back to, when we think of your team, how important is it to have that team cohesiveness, that connectedness, even though you guys have your own role and you guys are doing your own thing in the pool, but outside of the pool, how important is it for you guys to, to be connected? It's the key. Mm. It, it's the key to success. You know, it's, it's the ultimate key to success. And, and it, you know, it, 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 one person starts off with a win or one person starts off with the best time or a great play and the first drive or in any sport you see it, it creates this momentum and people start believing and they can do things that are just incredible, mm, right? It just, right. it lowers it, it psychologically. I think it just helps you get over that bar. Like everybody is crushing it. This pool is fast. Like, you know, and you, the momentum just keeps going. You, you see it. You can start off on the right foot and everybody's in the same flow and feeling comfortable and excited and, you know, you name it and feel like everyone's behind them. It just creates this snowball effect that you can't stop. Mm, I love it. And whether if it was at the Olympics or any other venue, did you ever feel that other countries feared you or feared you and your team? That's a good question. I don't know if it was as much fear as it was like animosity or, you know, they, they wanted to take us, you know, it was the goal, right. To take us down and to beat us in a medal count or to beat us in a certain event. Um, I get it. I would have been the same way. I, I love being the underdog. Right. And so I think these guys really embraced that role. I think you saw it. When, you know, Australia hosted the Olympics, they were just on fire and they swam out of their minds. And they, every sport, every time a country, you know, holds the Olympics in their, in their country, you see the medal count go up. I think it was like 10 or 15 percent. You know, they, they are, you know, just that home pride and they embrace that role of, you know, this is for my country. Right. I think when you make it bigger than just you. It makes it a lot easier. No, I, I agree. I agree. You know, I, I had Susan Francia on my show uh, not too long ago, who is gold medalist for rowing, and I asked the same question about, you know, did you ever feel like before competition that countries uh, they were fearful of you guys? And like, she took this pause, and she goes, "Oh yes." She goes, "We would walk around. <laughs> we would like with shoulders back. We had this our body language." She said, we weren't being cocky, we were being confident, but we just knew, because everybody wanted to beat us, 
but they saw us working together. They saw us like walking together. And she's like, there's just, I saw it in their eyes. Like the, like some of them, I felt like they were already defeated. So she goes, and I just thrived yeah. on that. And I'm like, I could totally get it. When you're, when you're in the competitive state, you're like, you're not really caring about people's feelings. You're all about getting an edge and getting ready for your, you know, for your race. So, yeah, no, I agree. And, but I think there's a different feeling when you have USA on your back, <laughs> right. you know, on your parka or yeah. you have USA on your suit and you look down and they announce you like lane four, Mark Henderson, USA. And that alone, like I get, I get goosebumps every time. Mm. And I'm like, there's no way, there's no way you're beaten, you know? <laughs> I so love it. I love it. There, there was that. I think that just fired, that just fired you up. When you think of mental performance, sports psychology, how much did throughout your career, whether if it was in high school, college, even at the Olympic level, how much was it a focus as far as visualization and breathing and self-talk and meditation, mindfulness, how much was that integrated throughout your career? God, if I could go back and do one thing over, I would have meditated on a regular basis and not have done yoga. Mm. For me, like, um, my mental prep was I did a lot of visualization. I think most nights I was going through my race in my head. And I think that's why I didn't remember them. You know, like, I had gone through it in my head so much that my body just kind of took over. You know, everybody's trying to get into that mode where they, you know, feel like they've gone through the – like the basket looks twice as big as it normally oh, does yeah. in basketball, you know, yep. they're getting in the zone and everybody wants to know how to get in the zone. And to me, like the easiest way to do it was to really visualize and run through exactly what was going to happen. And in my race, not really what was going to happen next to me or anything like that. It was, you know, what's going to happen in my race. And, and when I made the biggest mistake, it was worrying about, like focusing on what the people next to me were doing. Mm. Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Well, when you think of your whole career, all of the accolades that you earned, what do you think you learned about yourself the most? That the accolades don't matter. <laughs> you know, to be honest with you, it <laughs> I sounds kind it. of funny to say. But That's great. It, it sounds really funny, but you know, the my my coach when I was really young ingrained in us that you don't get out of the pool until everybody's done. You shake the people's hand on both sides of you. One of my closest friends from period, but from swimming, Byron Davis, him and I trained together going into 96 and he would have been the first African-American to make a U.S. swim team mm. at that time. And he was seated first going into finals and I was seated sixth. And he was lead, he swam my event. I mean, he swam my race that I swam in 92. He was leading the whole way until like the last 10 meters. And I want to say he got fourth or fifth, maybe fourth. And, you know, first thing he did, he gets out of the water, runs over and gives me a hug. Awesome. Now, if you want to talk about, what I remember, amazing sports moments. You can name a bunch of things with Jordan and a few other people, but I always tell kids when I talk to them, that's one of the most amazing sports moments I've ever witnessed. Wow. Because it's the beauty of sportsmanship, you know? Yeah. And so to me, you know, the most important thing I got out of sports was just, you know, obviously the characteristics that you can use afterwards, but the friends that I have from like, college, national team, club team, you know, I'm still friends with all these people and I'm still close and we have a bond because we've all trained really hard together and we've competed together and kind of laid it all out on the line together. So mm. those, I wouldn't give that up for the world. Awesome. I love it. Love it. I love it, man. So let's switch gears a little bit. You know, we've talked about your mindset, your Olympic mindset. How has the discipline that you had to go through and you earned and your mindset that you got from being an athlete, how did that help you in your corporate life as you moved away from the sport and you started working for on wall street? I just want to tell all athletes that are listening that you have such an advantage on whatever you want to do after you're done with sports. 
Mm, um, awesome. You have an advantage because you've learned to, you know, pick yourself up after failing. You've learned to learn your mistakes and get better. You have that just inner drive that a lot of people just don't have. You know, like I want to say most people like they're they're happy just going to work, you know, pl- punching in, punching out, and providing. You know, and and being a good parent or whatever they you know aspire to do but i feel like athletes just have that or ex-athletes from any level i think the longer you compete the more this is ingrained but i feel like you have that burning sensation to just get better mm. and mm. that that pushes through to you know if you're a teacher or you're on wall street or you're a doctor or whatever you tend to gravitate towards or you're a coach you just want to keep getting better. Well, you talk about drive. And, you know, before we get into talking about your drive and motivation for the Athletes Village, your company, it looks like you've been very active throughout your life after swimming as far as being involved in charities and being on multiple boards for several organizations. What was it, because you've done a lot in that area, what's your drive of getting involved with charities and, and providing advice to other organizations you know it's just my passion you know i think we all have to have balance in life and i've always found that when i'm helping others i do better Mm. and it might seem like more time commitment like in college and and i'm giving all the credit to pablo morales who was the world record holder when i was kind of coming up i saw an interview with him and and they said that he had worked in the boys and girls clubs. And so I'm like, that sounds really cool. <laughs> so, you know, I grew up in kind of like a rough area outside of DC and, and, uh, you know, I went into a boys and girls club in Oakland when I was at Berkeley, I think I was a sophomore, a junior, maybe I was a sophomore and I signed up and they gave me this, you know, young man who was 10 at the time and in a lot of trouble and had just been suspended that day. And so like I was in the principal's office meeting him for the first time and, you know, young African-American kid had a huge chip on his shoulder. One of six kids in his family, um, no dad, he was in jail and his mom was doing her best to raise all the kids. And, um, you know, it, it was a commitment, but he made me, like just appreciate everything. Mm. And, you know, I, I felt like I had to show him what it was like to train hard and to work hard and how that pays off and included him in a lot of the things that we did. And we, I was part of what they call like the swimmer's house at Cal, all the swimmers and water polo players been there. And they kind of just inducted him into the family. Like if I wasn't there, if I was busy, like another guy was grabbing him and making him do homework, you know? And so, um, you know, proud to say he eventually became a fireman in Oakland and you know, leading a really good life. Wow. Those are those those are the stories you want to hear, man. That's awesome. No, it's it's amazing what the power that athletes have as far as the ability to give back and that's kind of what we're trying to harness with uh the company that we're starting. Yeah, so so tell me a little bit about Athletes Village the purpose of the company and what, what drove you and motivated you to create this company for athletes, coaches, and parents? You know, it's, it's one of those things where I felt it was just my, it's kind of my life's purpose. Um, we all have something we feel like we're on this earth for. And, um, there, there's a reason in my mind that I got as far as I did in sports. Like I said, I'm not this, you know, Adonis, swimming figure that you would think that most guys are, you know, comparatively. And, and I feel like I got to a certain level for a reason and I want to take advantage of that reason and help others. And as I, you know, got married and and had kids and and started volunteer coaching, I saw that there is this amazingly large gap between, you know, the information that we were given as elite athletes and, the information that everyday Johnny and, and Mary are getting as parents or athletes 
um, in, in just any town USA, right? right? And so, especially in some of the lower income towns. And so I felt like, you know, there was this massive gap and there was just an opportunity. I mean, there's, I think the most underleveraged thing in sports is the parents of athletes who have been through it. You know, like their kids have competed, you know, just to say at the college level. They've been through so many decision-making, like when their child went down to one sport and how they dealt with coaches and how they dealt with recruiting and, you and you know, did sports take away from academics and how they balanced that. And, you know, there's so much information out there that can help kids and parents and coaches, you know, achieve their dreams, avoid injuries, and have more fun playing sports and just have close relationships. There's so many athletes who are better than I was or had better potential than I did that for one reason or another didn't achieve their dreams. And a lot of it I witnessed. Like I witnessed the crazy parents that were out there yelling at their kids or barking at them on the way home from a competition, telling them what they did wrong and, you know, making it not fun. Mm. And it start, you witness it at a very young age. I mean, the best example I heard was a TED speech where I can't remember the name of the guy, but he was saying, you know, when you're training your daughter or son math and you're doing double digit addition and, you know, and they don't carry the one, let's say it's, you know, eight plus five in the right column and they don't carry the one, you don't yell at them. You know, like, you didn't carry the one, come on, carry the one. But if you take that exact same parent at the exact same age, and their child is playing soccer, they're on the sidelines yelling, like, kick the ball, pass it, pass it, he's right. open. Shoot, yeah. shoot, shoot. So, like, you know, what are, what are you teaching your child? Nothing. Like, you're not allowing them to make decisions. You're not allowing them to make mistakes. You're actually holding them back, and you're taken away from the positive experience of sports. Yeah. So, you know, it's one thing, you know, for us when we're building this company, we're taking the stance, like, you know, it's one thing to hear some suggestions on the Today Show. It's a whole different thing to hear it from, like, you know, Julie Saudi's mom or Drew Brees' mom on what she thought she did differently than other parents. Yeah. Or what Drew Brees thought, you know, how he handled situations, right? Right. So, you know, he's not your atypical quarterback in terms of height. So, you know, he had to fight through a lot of people saying that there's no way he's going to make the pros. There's no way he's going to play in college, right? And so that's what we're, we're trying to embrace all that information and provide it, but also provide a place where athletes and coaches and parents can, can feel comfortable asking questions and getting amazing responses, you know, from people who have been there. And so, like... You know, we have athletes going on there who are like in middle school asking questions about, you know, you name it, track or soccer or lacrosse, and they're getting pro players coming back and giving them answers. And they're like fired up. They're like inspired. You know, we're, we're videotaping some of this while we're like watching, you know, we're going to an inner city school or we're going to, you know, a high-end high school and we're, you know, have them on the site and just doing beta testing. And we're like, Hey, you know, ask a question and see who answers it. And we're not baiting the other side at all. We're like, you get a notification if you're an elite athlete or an expert in psychology or nutrition or whatever. And if a question comes in in your field, but that's it, they have a total choice to answer or not. But, you know, we're finding that most of these athletes are answering the questions because they're getting, you know, positive feedback too, right? They know they're helping someone. It could be someone around the world. And, you know, they're getting like likes, just like Facebook, you know, you're getting the likes and the notifications and the, you know, people commenting on their answer and starting a conversation. And, you know, they get that great feeling that they give them back. Now, is it kind of like, is the athlete's village, is it like a portal where all the information that's out there for every sport, whether if it's about drills, about diet, diets, if it's about sports psychology, whatever it is, it, you're basically, this is a portal streamlining all of that information 
into one place and then also adding a Q&A platform so people can interact with other athletes and coaches? That's a good description. So, yeah, so think of it like, yeah, like this massive, like starting off small and just getting bigger and bigger every day, Mm. right? So we've started with, you know, obviously one sport, and now we're at seven sports. So right now we're at swimming, lacrosse, golf, track, you know, diving, volleyball, soccer. And so then we've included topics like coaching, nutrition, mind and body, which deals with like injury prevention and yoga, mindfulness, all kinds of different, you know, meditation, you name it, um, recovery techniques, and then psychology and parenting. So you've got all of those categories that total 12 and they're growing every day because people are asking questions, people are answering on the site every day from around the world. So right now, like last week, we reached 100 countries, users from 100 countries. Um, now, I don't want to, you know, pull the, pull the wool over anybody's eyes. You know, 26 countries have more than 20 users. Right. And so the, the rest, 74, have like under... You know, but we're just excited that it's gotten there. We're a little scared because we haven't built any apps yet. Um, we just started this to see if we'd have interest. And um, we've been amazingly surprised by just the number of high-level athletes and experts who have come on the site. Who are some of the, if you, don't mind, if you can say, but are there any athletes or coaches or anybody that's prevalent in, in the industry that's um, either getting involved or supporting your initiative? Yeah, I mean, we've had over 200 athletes and experts on there. I mean, we have, so I can name people. I mean, I would say in the swimming world, we have like over 70 Olympians. Awesome. Um, we've got some of the top coaches from in the history of swimming. So like Junior Banchek, who was, you know, the former University of Michigan coach, six-time Olympic swim coach, and now he's touring the country and helping out other coaches. We've got Bernard Lagat, who's arguably the most decorated track and field athlete outside of Carl Lewis, five-time Olympian, five-time world champion. I'm trying to think by sport. We have uh, Dr. Scott Rodeo, who's the doctor for the New York Giants and one of the leading orthopedics in the world. Let's see, Nicole Branagh, 2008 beach volleyball player, Julie Foudy, three-time Olympic soccer player, you know, captain of the U.S. Olympic team twice, Ryan Murphy, 2016 Olympian for swimming, three-time gold medalist. You know, it just keeps going. Dick wow. Fosbury, who created the Fosbury flop in, in <laughs> track and field, the first guy to ever jump, you know, over yeah. the high jump, you know, going, you know, backwards. So uh, typically they dove over it before him. So, you know, it's, it's a place where your name is going to be imprinted forever. You know, we're, we're curating the information. And what kind of separates us from Facebook, you know, if you're in a Facebook group, is that, we're easily searchable, and once some information comes on the site, you can save it, keep it in your little file locker. You can, you know, share it with your friends. You can do anything you want with it, but it's easy to go back and find. When I'm, I'm in groups in Facebook, you know, I, you know, once I've seen something I like, it's hard to go back and find it. I'm scrolling, 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 trying to find it. You know, history of it. So. You know, for us, we're trying to make it super easy, and we're not reinventing the wheel. We're taking a lot of information that's already out there and and trying to just aggregate it to yeah. us. And like we're, you know, what the next step that we're doing is we're taking YouTube videos, and we're going by age group, like U8, U10, U12, U14, and aggregating, having you know Olympic or Division One athletes going through and filtering the best videos for you for those age groups awesome so you know if you're an athlete in say soccer you know you have a division one soccer player saying hey these are the best videos that you should be watching don't waste your time on other stuff got it that's great that's great now how can my listeners follow you on social media and also stay updated on the athletes village 
Um, the best thing to do is to go sign up at theathletesvillage.com. It's completely free and it takes you less than five minutes to get on there and, you know, start as many, you can follow me on there. And I would say start following as many experts in the areas that you're interested in. If you're interested in psychology or nutrition, there's some amazing, amazing experts on there, amazing doctors, physical therapists, just, you know, whatever you're going through in your personal life or personal training, there's someone there that can help you and offer you advice, um, lead you in the right direction. Or there's an athlete who's been through it. You know, there's, there's information on there from eating disorders to, you know, bullying to you, you name it. We kind of cover everything. You know, for us, we're, we're proud of the people that are going on there and, and sharing their advice. The other we're on easily found on Facebook and Twitter and uh, Instagram as well and LinkedIn. Really, this has been an incredible interview, and just to hear your mindset as an athlete, understanding your journey, sharing with me, you know, sharing with us what you're doing uh, with Athletes Village is it's just great, man. It's like to have someone like you in this world and society to to provide something these resources and this portal for athletes, coaches, and parents. I think it's just, it's awesome and it's timely. So, you know, again, thank you for being on your, on my show and, and sharing your energy. It was great. Hey, I, I'm, I'm completely honored. Like I said earlier, and, and I want to give a shout out to Bella Picard who you just had on um, <laughs> your podcast because I made my daughter. Well, I didn't make her. I you know had her listen to it and she fell in love with her, like her whole story and her grit and her personality and her tenacity. She is an amazing person for female athletes to look up to. And I'm so honored that my daughter was able to listen to your podcast and hear about Bella's story and, you know, learn from her and put things in perspective. So, I mean, my daughter's young. She's 10 years old, the cross player, swimmer. But, you know, it was so, it was such a, amazing thing to watch her listen to it and to have the conversation afterwards with my daughter. So recommend to any dads that are out there that have, you know, female athletes have daughters who are athletes or even just daughters period. Like this is something you have to listen to. (laughs) Awesome. Bella's Bella's story is, um, it's, it's, it's one of the most special stories that, um, I've had on my show She's an incredible person, and I mean, she's, her spirit, and I've said this so many times on social media, it's unbreakable to just to see how that person has just dealt with this adversity, and so you're right, man. It's like if anybody has a daughter or anybody that's gone through adversity, check out Bella Picard. Uh, She's incredible. And how she's turned it around. Yeah. I mean, like, she's taken a really bad situation and completely turned it around and used it to her advantage. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, thanks for you know shouting that out because um, she's an incredible person, just like you as well. Well, I truly appreciate it, and thanks for having me on. You bet.